0: 2 Kings 4 for a moment. And we're going to start in verse 8. We're looking at the life, at the moment, uh, we're really looking at a terrible time of a downward spiral of an entire nation. Uh, There's a civil war, kind of Captain America, you know, thing, uh, that is with Israel and with uh, Judah. The 12 tribes have split after Solomon's divided heart, and the legacy is very clear to follow. And what we have is we have the ten northern tribes uh, under the leadership, initially of Solomon's commander. His name is Rehoboam or Jeroboam, sorry, and uh, who is from the tribe of Ephraim. And the south, you have Judah and Benjamin and some renegade Levites, because Jerusalem is down there, who then have called themselves Judah. Judah, by the way, is where we get the term Jew today. For no instance, you're Jewish because initially they were the only tribes initially that they would say they could find, chase themselves back to. All of that said, the nation's been actually, it'll last 200 years. Uh, 200 years between the time of the Civil War and where both of those kingdoms will find themselves in captivity. So this is a horrible place to start. So let me, but I want to put it into perspective. I already know somebody, but imagine being able to look in the face of someone and see their end. And see their end as bondage, addiction, slavery, abuse, tyranny to the point where they erode into just death. How uniquely painful that would be to be able to see that in a person's face, to see that future. And to think if there was anything you could do to change that. Would you? Well, let's be honest. If somebody doesn't, and let's just brave it, if somebody doesn't know Jesus, we know where that future is. But that is extended to every human being and God desperately desperately wants you to be with him. But what if that person you looked at was your own reflection? And you could see that destruction. What would you do to change it then? And the reason I say that is, is we have in front of us, prayed in front of us, a very difficult story to watch where we see step by step, inch by inch, the erosion from a place of abject blessing to a place of bondage. Which, by the way, wasn't even the permanent end dabbling with other things, running to other gods, and immersing themselves into other cultures. And not that the culture is the issue, the cultures that were under other gods for which they adopted the gods. We'll talk about that in a moment. But in the midst of that, God never, ever puts his people without a witness. And traditionally, it always seems like when things start ramping up, God ups the ante and starts bringing in extra forces. He's going to do everything necessary except usurp your free will. There's the heavy part of it. In our story tonight, that we'll be looking at in chapter eight, thank you. <laughs> <coughs> it refers back to a situation that we have here in chapter four. So it would be nice to have the backstory ahead of time. Fair enough. So we're going to read in the round. What that means is I'm going to pick a verse, and that means that Carlo gets the next. Rachel will get the following, and so on. Oh. No snoozing off for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's strategy. That's it, exactly. And I warn you, people, have a tendency to get excited and read more than one verse so they just go, oh, no, 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 oh, I'm a letter. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. First of all, again, God, do your
1: work in no. our hearts. In Jesus' name.
0: Mm. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food.
1: Um, um, <coughs> uh, and she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly.
2: Please, let us make a small upper room in the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and <coughs> a chair and a lampstand. So it will be. Whenever he comes to us he can turn there.
1: And it happened one day that he came there. He turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the my woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to and he said to him, Say now to her, Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the command of the army? Mm-hmm. She answered, I will I dwell among my own people.
0: No, she said, Do you want me to speak to the king for you? That'll just come in handy later. Mm. <laughs> in <Dutch week>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gahati answered, Actually she has no son and her husband is old.
1: So he said, Call her. When he had called her, she stood in the
0: doorway. Then he said, About this time next year, you shall embrace the son. And she said, No, my lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant.
1: But the woman conceived and bore a son. When the appointed time had come, of which Elida, Elisha had told her.
2: And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father to the reapers.
1: And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to the servant, "Carry him to his mother." When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, and then died.
2: Then hmm. she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out.
3: And
2: then she called to her husband and said, "Please send one. Please send me one of the young men." and one of the donkeys, that I may to run to the man of God and
1: come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is well.
2: Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you.
0: And as she departed, she went to the man of God at Malchum So it was, when
1: the man of God saw her far off,
0: that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman.
1: Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, It is well.
2: Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is indeed distressed. And the Lord has hidden it from me, and has not told me.
1: So she said, Did I ask the Son of my Lord? Do not say, Do not deceive me. Then he said to the Hatsi, Get yourself ready, and take my staff in your hands, and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him, and if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her.
2: Now he went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither note, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not living.
0: When Elisha came into the house, <coughs> there was the child lying dead on his bed.
2: He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed for the Lord.
0: And he went out and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth oh, his Ooh. eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands and he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm
1: he returned and walked back and forth from the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes
2: and he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman, so he called her and when she came in to him, he said, "Pick up your son."
1: so she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out
0: okay that's That's our previous story <laughs> now here's the situation, and I'd like to kind of put things into perspective. It's roughly two years between that and what we're looking at now in chapter eight. So two years ago, this basically happened now there's because we've already talked through this, I just want to cover a couple of key things. First of all, I want to remind you Elisha is en route. He's en route between one place and another. And this woman sees him in route and notices he's a holy man. Now, does he smell holy? Does he, does, do angels follow him? Does he have that gold plate floating on his head? Mm-hmm. Or could it actually be that, that Elisha's lifestyle was one, that he wasn't just holy in front of people, he wasn't just holy at events? Mm-hmm. That even in those moments that we would be least apt to be way on our spiritual game, in route between one thing and another, she seems to notice. And so she invites him in for food. And he goes, Okay. So he goes in for food. She seems to be a woman of great means. She is a wealthy woman. She has a husband, that's clear, because she's gonna tell him to do something in a moment. And uh, but she has no children. And you're probably aware in the Middle East, of course, that becomes a point of shame. Oh by the way, I, have I said it yet, please don't just believe me. So just assume whatever I say is true because I say it. Please search the scriptures and test everything by it. Okay, that's my disclaimer. Always said, right? So here we go. So in all of that, she turns to her husband and she notices this is becoming a routine. This man is coming in for food every time he's passing by, and by the way, he is doing this route between Gilgal and Jericho and after Mount So this is kind of in route to all of that. And so we sort of, this is just in that sense, this is what we call in America, we call a pitch stop. Uh, you know, th- those places that are sort of truck stops, and there's, you know, it, then you would just sort of in between very long uh, places of driving, there's a little place where you can go and get some food and some petrol and off you go. That's well, kind of the idea. And she looks and she goes, you know, well, we should go beyond this. I mean, obviously this guy's coming and passing through, and obviously he's got long distances, roughly 20 miles. And so, at least we make him a spare room up in the upper, you know, building. And we, traditionally, you build an expansion on the top of a house, so that's what she's going to do. Uh, we don't know if her husband's a builder or whether he's going to hire it. She has the means and she's just building a nice place. Now, there's nothing elaborate about it. Now, we might say it's the panel because it's
1: upstairs, but
0: it's just a, it's a room. And notice it only has three things, at least, that we see it has a bed, and it has a table, and it has a lampstand. So it's a place for him to sleep and a place for him to read. That's basically it. Now, at which point, then, he kind of looks and he's noticing the fact that she's done all of these kind things and he hasn't done anything for her. And at this point he's like, well, we should do something. And we're introduced to an interesting character, a man named Gahati. Now, it's important to recognize, if you're familiar with the story of Gahati, it doesn't end well with this guy. Mm-hmm. Gahati was a man who ultimately, if you remember, kind of goes and tries to jip out a man who had leprosy, who was healed, a Syrian commander of the army named Nahaman, who, by the way, then he tries to get a little, a little something on the side, Well, he gets a little something on the side, and then he gets a whole lot on the skin. He ends up getting the leprosy from the guy in return to all of that. So we kind of know that's where it's going to be with Nachman. The last time we'll see him, uh, up to our text, he was somebody, in that essence, trying to rip off that other guy when Elisha was like, don't you dare get me anything for it. Nonetheless. Mm-hmm. We, what's interesting is you meet him here. And we greet him as his servant. Now that could be, and just so you know, in Hebrew, that is actually, potentially, that she had assigned that servant to him. Or that it was somebody that was raised up in the school of prophets. We don't know where actually the Hakti came from. But what's interesting is the first time you see him is in a rich woman's house. I think that's interesting. And he's like, Man, we need to do something for her. And, and no, she says, do you want me to speak to the king for you? Now, why would you speak to a king for someone? Or you would speak to him to try to get them exempt from taxes? Uh, that would definitely be something of benefit, let's be honest here, since 40% of the income goes there. You know? and, or, or, by the way, to try to regain lands back, which, by the way, she says, I dwell among my own people. I have no need for either. That's not, there'll be no benefit. And Gahati goes, you know, she doesn't have a kid. So he goes, well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, you go, you're going to have a kid. And by the way, notice, she doesn't exercise great faith. She actually says, oh, come on, stop lying to me like mm-hmm. this. And, and Which appears to me, pardon me for saying, since we've had the privilege of being able to walk people through, people who've never been able to actually have children, the amount of heartbreaks, you know—you you call it, you call it like, so the monthly breakdown, you realize there's something that's clear, I'm trying to be careful when I say this which it seems clear you're not pregnant and that day is the worst day ever because it's obvious again no matter how hard you're going to try there's nothing you have to do at this point so I imagine time after time after time monthly broken hearts so when he says this this has got to be ripping open a very very deep wound. but notice she never goes okay well let's give it a try whatever though obviously things need to happen but we don't read that it was her great faith that her child notice that. Nowhere in it does she relent of this moment of disbelief and so she ends up becoming pregnant and she has this child. A miraculous situation. Mm-hmm. Now she has the child, and again I remind you at this point, think about it, Let's just thinking, house calls. He's popping by, staying in his little room, getting a meal, on and off he goes. Because he's on in route, as he does so with these schools of prophets. While all of this is happening, we have a moment here where the boy becomes tragically ill. There's an argument of what it was, was this malaria? Was this heat stroke? Well, it really doesn't say. What's clear is that it must have something to do with his head, because he's saying so. He says, my head, my head. He says it to his father, interestingly enough, during a time of reaping, which would be a time of warmth, by the way. And with that, then they carry him to his father, who ultimately, or I should say they carry him to his mother, who, and the boy dies on his mother's knee, <coughs> which tells you that the boy must not be huge. But if he was huge, well, I'll be honest, even a very large boy, if he's dying, I'm sure Mom will have the strength to carry him, but he appears to be someone that they carry to him. He appears to be a to be carried. At which point, then, it's interesting what she does. If you think about it, she hides the child from her husband, she hides his illness, and she mm-hmm. puts him in the upper room, and you can connect dots with atitude and so forth. but she puts him in which is Elijah's room? And as she puts him in that room, the husband's like, hey, is everything okay, honey? And she's like, yeah, everything's cool. Loose paraphrase. And she's not telling him, he's dead. Now, why would that be? Well, one thing's for sure. Within Hebraic tradition, the moment that a child dies, you wrap him up immediately. It's a a moment of respect and honor, which tells me, interestingly enough, that she must be a woman of faith. here. Because if she really just thought he was dead and he was probably going to stay that way, why wouldn't she allow him to be wrapped up and properly? given a proper burial. Mm-hmm. I kind of get the idea there's still hope. Well, obviously, because she's going to go and take quite a trip herself. But mm-hmm. husband doesn't know this. So there's a dead child laying on Elisha's bed. And so she starts to head off. And as she heads off, by the way, the first person to greet her again is this servant, Gahavi. Now Elisha sees her from a distance and he goes, okay, well, you know, this is really strange. That's the of <coughs> woman. Well, would you go find out what's up? And it's interesting, because what's clear is, he doesn't know. Though he's a man of God, and by the way, according to these texts, he's called the man of God. Mm -hmm. During a time when there are at least three schools of prophets that are, as you're aware, bustling so much, they have to do expansion programs for the buildings, he's the only one called the man of God. Mm -hmm. Don't you find that strange? During the time of decline into slavery, into bondage, does not necessarily mean it's a time that lacks spirituality, doesn't mean it's a time that lacks religion it's just a time that lacks the real God mm. and again businesses, it would look successful in our opinion we have three schools of prophets and we have to make the buildings bigger this is really but it's not mm. just because something is full does not mean it's full of him mm. and once the Lord's in the house it's full mm. so having said that God sees like is everything okay and she says the same thing she did to her husband yeah it's cool And she's still beelining at this point for Elisha. Which makes me wonder her relationship with both of these men. Now, I understand not telling her husband because she doesn't want her son bombed, but not telling Ahati. I kind of get the idea that she doesn't assume he would have anything to do with it. But again, I remind you, Elisha is the man of God. the Mm a definite honor. you following me so far? Mm -hmm. So with that, so with that, she winds up at the feet Mm -hmm. of Elisha. And she starts, and she unloads. She is a volcano, and she is not a And I imagine at this point, it is a launch of tears, but it is an angry voice coming out of her. Did I ask for a kid? Now, how would you respond to that? Now, you realize sometimes the angriest voice is just the most broken heart. Mm. But it's really hard to hear it when somebody's yelling at you. But what's interesting is God's just trying to pull her off. And he goes, hey, hey, hey. Something's really, obviously, wrong. And the Lord hasn't told me. It seems strange to Elisha that this was a moment, and this is, uh, imagine, it was out of the ordinary for God not to tell him something. Mm -hmm. he's like, this is a really strange thing. He hasn't told me. Now, God could have told him. Let's be honest. God could have said, Elisha, this girl's coming, her son's dead. Be ready. I would have, I, to be honest, at that moment, if I were at I would have really preferred that. Mm-hmm. But not. And I wonder what it would be like. Oh, think about who you would be if you were the person in that. The tears would fall on my face. And maybe that was why. Those of you who are in the acting profession or have ever been there, you do know that there are times where they don't actually tell you what's going to happen next because it's the only way to get a legitimate response from them. Why get something sequestered when you could just never? And there have been situations, in the week scene after scene, where some actress mm-hmm. is going to throw a glass of water in the face of an actor, and they do not tell the actor, because when he gets it, he responds, <laughs> as one would expect to respond, getting a glass of water in his face. Right? Okay. Well, I wonder if that's what... I mean, and again, we have to guess, you know. but somewhere in all of that, he's got to respond. His response is interesting. He sends the servant, I remind you, the one she dodged to get to Alicia. And he goes, take my staff and go to that kid. So he does. You know what he does? He runs and he throws the stick and nothing happens. And what God says here is, there was no voice. I think that's an interesting thing. Well, whose voice would you expect to hear there? The boys? Oh, well, what about God's? Well, he comes back. So imagine how that would be. You're on an air and you run back. You run up to that upper room and you take your stick. Doink. Picks up the stick, he runs back. It didn't work. So Elisha, and by the way, the woman never goes with Gahati. Remember, she goes, I'm not leaving you, to Elisha. She knows where this is. And when they go there, what we read is Elisha throws himself upon the child and he prays. And maybe that was the voice God was looking for. One of the things I learned with Gahati was he was a man of prayerlessness. Mm-hmm. We never read him praying, ever. Oh, mm-hmm. well, he was a servant. of a man of God but knowing where he ends one of the things you're going to find is he is not a man of prayer another thing you're going to find is he's not a man of faith Nowhere where do you read that and you know what you can take a guy and you can stick him in a program into structure or something and you can toss it and good things can still happen if the word's being taught or whatever the case is but that doesn't mean that the person who's throwing the stick has any prayer or faith in it hey God's word never returns empty. we've even prayed that and yet even in all of that, that doesn't mean that the person wielding it is actually doing is actually the person you know, is actually doing it in great faith. Mm-hmm. Remember when Paul would say, some actually preach the gospel out of selfish ambition and actually thinking they're gonna make my life more miserable? Well, that doesn't sound like any decent reason, does it? You know what Paul's response to that was? not what ours would be. Like, oh, that guy needs to get off the television and all that guy's a jerk. He said, hey, here's the good news. The gospel's being preached and people are getting saved. <laughs> Even if the guy's a jerk, the gospel's still the gospel. still the power of salvation, whether a donkey wields it or that guy. <laughs> Back in our text, now it's a delicious turn. Now, which one of you wants to throw yourself on a baby or a child or a little boy? Ma- okay, I could actually <laughs> conceivably... Lay on a dead person. I, I, there's no part of me that thinks that would be a cool thing. It isn't like that's on my bucket list. But the lip to lip thing is, I would, I would actually have to hear God say that. Probably in the <laughs> Just the reason, Because there's no part of me that would go. Well, clearly there's some hidden part of me that would say that. That must be you, God, because that's the weirdest thing. So, He does, and here's the worst part. The flesh becomes warm but it's not enough, and He walks. And he goes back and he does it again until the child sneezes seven times. Is Elisha on top of him when he's sneezing? Which one of you thinks? oh, there's a, that that made it better now. They were mouth to mouth and now he's sneezing. <laughs> yeah, he <can. laughs> presents the child back. Do you get that? Shortly thereafter, then we'll become this Nahaman character from Syria, the commander who's going to come in, want to be healed and Elisha will actually tell him go wash in the river Jordan he dips seven times the slice is great he, comes back, he goes let me give you some stuff and he's like no are you kidding you need to know God did this I didn't do it anyway you, I'm not doing this for hire and as he's running out Gahati chases after him he goes oh by the way a couple of people showed up you won't believe us he's lying the whole thing. a couple of people showed up and we don't have can we have some changes of clothes and a little bit of cash so we could stop the same phrase loose paraphrase <laughs> and he goes yeah 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 man take more than you ask here take this so he has them all this stuff, and the guy goes and hides it in his tent. And then he gets called to the carpet. And Elisha's like, Oh, excuse me. Where were you? And it makes me sound like I was a huff of the teenager. He's like, I was nowhere. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, Really, is this the time for buying and getting your and getting served in? I mean, all these things that you were like, Elisha didn't just know that he did it, he knew what he was going to do with it. And he goes, You know that leprosy that left him? It's going kind to of cling to you. Are you with me so far? Mm -hmm. Now, this may seem like a terribly long thing, but if it starts there, you're going to get the next part a whole lot better. Now, let me um, let me do this to um, to kind of jump into this. A little bit of background to where we were in between the last thing in chapter seven. Do you remember what the last thing was taking place? There was a siege. Syria, the same nation that just had a bunch of raiders fed, feasted, and sent out, mm-hmm. that just had their chief commander healed of leprosy, has besieged Samaria. And it got to the point, where, if you remember, where women were eating their babies, where they were eating dove dung, mm-hmm. And he said, oh, uh, and here's the great part, remember, he says, and Elish just called into the situation and he said, tomorrow at this time, Sinkfuls of fine flour. be basically sold for four pounds. Mm. And the guy's like, if God opened the windows of heaven, this is impossible. And he goes, Well, I'll tell you what. You'll see it. You just won't get any of it now. There's the sad part about faith mm. a lack thereof. Mm. Even when you see it, you won't take it. Mm. You'll see the joy in a believer, the peace in a person who loves Jesus. And you'll be too busy trying to convince yourself of something else. You won't take it, you'll Mm say, And it's like the Who concert in Cincinnati, they trample them to death as they uh, actually starts to happen. The reason I say that is we left with people selling bushels of fine flour for a few pounds. We are well to do at the moment. Are you with me on that? But people were starving and we would say it was because of the siege.
1: Here's the problem.
0: play our first couple verses, there's a famine. It clearly can't be because of the siege. Because now the people have an abundance. <coughs> you know this from the book of Deuteronomy. God promises that disobedience actually. God's responsibility is to protect and provide, to take pleasure in you, and to give you his presence. You want to run from God? Why would God provide? He wants you miserable when you're running from him. Because he wants you back. So the people at this point are in a tremendous famine, but it's not because of the siege. So hear me, and forgive me for kind of taking the, the scenic route, but it should make this very easy once we get to it. Hear me on this. The northern kingdom has never, in all of their kings, had a decent king. I'll remind you, there's a guy named Omri, who had a son named Ahab, Ahab, who was wicked and married this woman named Jezebel. Most of you are familiar with that. They have a daughter. Their daughter's name is Athalia. Very close, by the way, to the airlines, Alitalia, which always makes me a little uncomfortable. (laughs) And she's a chip off her mom's shoulder. She's basically Jezebel Jr. You all with me so far? That's the northern side. The southern side, Judah, on the other hand, Judah, they actually have decent kings. They vacillate. They've had a decent king with Asa, but they've also had a great king with Yehoshaphat. But Yehoshaphat was a a man whose heart was after God but he was also a doofus and he was one of those leap first pray later guys (laughs) his story was one that you're just like are you serious but get this because I'm not trying to make it confusing I'm just trying to put us in where we're at in this perspective (coughs) the south that king Jehoshaphat has has a son and his son's name is Yoram just to make things worse the king in the north has a son. He names him Yoram, too. No, Things are really going to get easy, right? But the king of Judah, his son Yoram, marries Jezebel's daughter, Jezebel Jr., Atalia. Now, you can't imagine that's a good thing.
1: It's a horrible thing.
0: And here is the stage we are in set for this time. And this is why this is so important for me to give to God never wants unity at the expense of holiness. God wants unity for the benefit of both parties. He says for us not to be unequally honest. Now, we say, well, I'm building a bridge. Well, are you actually building a bridge or are you just relocating? Because they're very different things. When the unsaved, godless world becomes the influencer. And the church ceases to be. God has to act. Mm. Hear me on this. God will call us out to be separate. Second Corinthians 6.17 for instance. Like leaving Egypt. And then be cleansed. Like the wilderness wanderings. Romans 12. 1, 2, 3. And then after being cleansed, then... Re-engage for transformation. Mm-hmm. He pulls you out, he cleans you up, and he sends you into re- to transform. Does that make sense? Yeah. Hear me on this. God calls you. Mm-hmm. He calls me to engage, influence, and impact. Is that fair? But this is unfortunately what happens: is we find ourselves awesome instead. We acclimate. We imitate and we integrate instead. Mm. And when we do that, we're no worse. We're no better off. Because it's like the lifeguard removing his bright red shirt. We've seen this. And then just throwing himself into the drowning people to drown himself. Because he doesn't want to stand out. He's there to save lives. Mm. And the moment we start imitating, the moment we start acclimating with the world, Mm. and we start integrating with the world. Do you know what that looks like? It looks like Peter, who got into the garden, or I should say into the courtyard, warmed his hands with the fire, and ultimately denied Christ thrice. And now, let me warn you on this. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians 13, God placed His Holy Spirit in you. And the mission of that Holy Spirit after drawing you to Jesus is to make you different from the world. Mm-hmm. And if we try to spend our time trying to blend in with the world, you are fighting God to be wanted by the one who really wants you. Isn't it ironic? Because to me, it just seems insane. Mm-hmm. But does
1: that doesn't make sense.
0: Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is now, believe it or not, we can actually get into our text. But this is why we're only doing eight <laughs> verses. <laughs> In verse 1, we are roughly now at about 847 B.C. Verse 1, look at it with me, 2 Kings 8. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. Oh, you know that story now, don't you? And he said, arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. Now, this is where we start this. I'd like you to consider the fact what God is doing here. God is about to perform a wrath. But did you notice God rescues before his wrath? God removes before his wrath? Now, pardon me for pushing a doctrinal bend. I don't traditionally do this, but I kind of have to here. There are times where there's wrath of man. You get that. And there are times that there are wrath of God. Can you think of, there are two very specific times we could say, that there were very obvious judgments or wrath of God in the Old Testament. Can anyone come up with those? The flood. I think that's a pretty simple one, wouldn't you say? Mm. There's another one in Genesis too, by the way. Sodom Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I'd say in both cases that was the wrath of God, would you agree? I find it interesting. In both cases, something happens. In the case of Noah, God did not allow a drop. By the way, you're aware of the fact that water never fell from the sky until then. So imagine how nutty you would sound. So you'd say, oh, by the way, it's going to rain. Well, what's rain? Water falling from the sky. Okay.
1: Yeah, water falling out.
0: Right? Because it'd always come up from the ground. He's like, no, it's actually going to actually bury this earth.
1: Yeah, you're an idiot. But God doesn't
0: allow a drop to fall until not only are the people but no one and his family in the boat, but that boat is sealed with pitch as well. Then the water falls. He removes, and then comes his wrath. That sounds familiar. How about the other case with Lot? Remember when the angel told Lot? Now, loose paraphrase, stop dragging your feet, man. Get out of here, because I cannot allow this wrath to come until you're gone. Which tells me, and by the way, didn't God tell us that the end times would be like the times of Noah and like the times of Lot? I find that interesting. Now, when God writes, Jesus speaking to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, there is one church he holds, there's two actually that he holds faithful. One actually I wouldn't want to necessarily be that Smyrna. Smyrna, by the way, is the Greek word for myrrh, which doesn't release its scent unless it's crushed. And he says, by the way, you're going to get crushed i will make it to the other side of this. But Philly, Philadelphia, yeah, I'd like that one. They're the missional church. They've kept all of his commands in regards to being faithful to the ministry. And I'd like you to hear what Jesus says there, because it's right before, obviously, the wrath that's being poured out starting in chapter 6, 6 through 19. This is what he says there in chapter 3, verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole world. To test those who dwell on the earth. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna pull you out of this thing before my wrath ever comes. Because you know, you know the way I do things? I remove and then I pour forth my wrath. Because why would I need to pour forth my wrath on you? So that's how this is this isn't the only reason why people believe in a rapture by any means, but it is definitely consistent with God's character. Now, in our text again at least she is approaching this woman and as he approaches this woman and I remind you this is a gal this is a gal who already knows the miraculous hand of God because she has a miraculous son by the way might I say she has a miraculous son twice mm-hmm. she has a miraculous son who was born mm-hmm. by a miraculous gift of promise and then was raised to life don't you find that interesting He was a son of promise that actually came to people who didn't actually even expect it and then you know, or actually wasn't in faith you know, expecting it and then was raised from the dead for what it's worth But notice he says, I want you to get out. Now, why is he wanting to get out? Because, again, I remind you, don't hear me on this. Because this is going to be a tough thing for us. One of the heaviest verses for me is it says, as you know, in the Psalms, he who sows in tears will reap with joy. Mm
3: -hmm. Now,
0: I don't think I've ever seen, I'm confident I've never seen any of you plant. Now, if you love gardening, talk to me later. I have a whole back garden that I need need to work. (laughs) But, one thing's one thing I'm confident in is it's like traditionally you're not crying, Mr. Nazi. But traditionally the Jews do, do you know that? They have a friend, his name is Menachem, he runs you've actually been there, right? Kefar Kedem? Do you remember that? And he talks about how traditionally when they sow they we don't even know why we cry. And he says, Could it be because of what Jesus said? When he said that unless a seed falls to the ground and t- because the seed is dying. And it was one of the few moments Nakam was basically like Tevia, if that makes sense, from like Zimel, who's a big character. He just got quiet. But how would that apply in your own life? What about those things that God has told you to leave behind that you
1: have to let be buried?
0: Now, I'm not talking about things you just don't want there's no tears in that, but God always promises to bless abundantly those who will betray their hearts for what is right, because when you sell in tears you make for joy.
3: Yeah.
0: what we 're going to see in this text is just because you lay something down does not mean you 'll ever see it again, you'll never see it again, but it's god 's job. Again if he cannot resurrect it and reconcile it then it should stay buried is that fair? because if it can't be resurrected and reconciled then it really shouldn't be there anyways then you're dragging the old man over and the Pharisees did it and called it the circumcision the Sadducees did it and said there was no resurrection we all have this thing about we want to well I was born this way well who are you reborn as? because he should be the author of your reinvention from the ground up now I'd like you to consider what this woman has to lose you tell me and he goes I want you to leave what does she have to leave behind no. yeah she probably has great wealth she uh, clearly has a house that has an addition on it she's taking her household where is the husband we don't need him anymore now is he still alive we don't know But like Joseph he must have died well we really don't know but we don't what we do know is he's talking to her you need to leave. She has to leave everything. Her future, her comforts. She obviously has fields, by the way. So this means all of her financial security, all of her future, her identity as who she is. The only thing she gets to take with her is her son. Have you ever been asked to leave that much behind? She is a lot. And by the way, because she is quite a wealthy woman, You know what else she has to leave? The comfort of just knowing it's in front of you. To have to lean on the faithful hand of God. We all know God's faithful, but when if if God doesn't pull through, your bills don't get paid, this is a very different story. Your prayers become very different. Your throat gets a little tighter. You become a lot more emotional. You really need to know. And we don't know how old she is, but the fact that she has said, come on, back three years ago, two years ago, tells me she must be older. She must be beyond childbearing age. Or it wouldn't have made sense for her to say that. So now she's looking and she's going. But we don't read anywhere in this she's arguing with them. Look, you're going to need to hear me. You need to leave everything you know. And I'm not even telling you where to go. You just need to not go here. You need to leave all of your comforts, all of your familiarities. And I, and I need you gone for seven years. Because I need to deal with this nation. If you cannot influence it, impact it, and mm-hmm. get out. Because if you won't, sooner or later it will. Does that make sense? Okay, we're almost done here. Now, No. Verse 2. We're almost done in verse 2. <laughs> <laughs> and I know this doesn't take you by surprise. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God. She went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines.
1: Wait a minute, the land of the Philistines.
0: Do you know what the land of the Philistines is? That's the Gaza Strip. strength. She didn't go far. Which, by the way, tells me. God is really accurate with his family. That would be like going I want you to leave London because I'm gonna deal with London and she leaves and she goes to Croydon. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, <laughs> just kidding. <a laughs> it's like she she leaves and goes to to slough. Slow slough. <laughs> It looks like sloth. <laughs> What's that? Greenwich. Yes, exactly. Well, actually, there was a kid this weekend. Greenwich. This is where I live.
1: He goes, Mom, I don't want to get a green witch. Who knows the green witch is the wicked one? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> all right, anyway. okay, what
0: <laughs> but imagine if, if you were like, right on the outskirts, somewhere like Hertfordshire. But the famine, it's of <coughs> London but doesn't have Hertfordshire. Talk about precise but it's even wilder than that because this is within Israel this land this was promised land from God so it would actually be like you're living here in Covent Garden and you actually just wind up going down the London Bridge I remind you the entire nation of Israel is the size of Wales so she is there how precise is this but what does she see in Philistia do you know what she sees she sees the future of Israel. Philistia is a very spiritual place, but a very godless place. Their god of choice is Dagon, which basically looks like Aquaman, who, by the way, is basically Baal with Finn. <laughs> and, uh, but all of their behaviors, their practices, and everything was primarily the same. Mm. And it was the very thing that Israel was dabbling with that they get, she gets to see in extreme. She gets to see the future of Israel if they, if they don't repent. Which, by the way, it's sad to say they won't. But she's there for seven years. Would you expect faithfulness and kindness from a group of people that you are already the perennial enemy? A place that's godless? But for seven years, she has to trust God. It isn't like she's got a debit card and she can just kind of cash in at the the cash points. Consider mm-hmm. that. I mean, if her money is in, in land exactly how many bushels a week do you want to take with you? Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You trust God. <clears throat> you go until he says go back. And if he never says go back, you never go back. But you understand when she abandons her land, it's gone. Unless, of course, you trust the Bible. If the nation was following the Bible, well then you have Leviticus 25, which is the year of Jubilee, and at the year of Jubilee would be restored back to him. But, She's a woman, so you have the daughters of the had to try to kind of go as a precedent, but truth be said, that we have a nation that's not following biblical precedents, which means that she's going to leave the land and she's not going to get back. I remind you, remember what Elish said before this? Do you want me to talk to the king for you? Huh. Wouldn't that be nice? So you leave and you go, now, let's face it, when you leave, you think, oh, bad chance I'll ever see that again. I wonder where I'll wind up after this. Does that make sense? When you say goodbye to it, you say goodbye to it. So the woman did according to the saying of the man and she went with She and her household and went into the land of the Philistines seven years. Now three, verse 3, it came to pass at the end of the seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to make an appeal before the king for her house and her land. Hey, it never hurts to ask, right? You can't write this. You can't invent this. Verse 4, then and which literally in Hebrew what that means is as she is on her way to ask. Then the king talked with Gehazi. What in the world is this leper doing with the king? Remember the guy that got leprosy because he tried to rip off the How in the world well, did he be with the king? Well, there's arguments for those who, by the way, have read the last chapter about the, the lepers that were at the gate that he might have been one of them or it might have been his family. Hmm. Maybe, maybe not. But I think it's interesting because what the king is on the inside is what Kahati is on the outside. Do you know why somebody turns white in leprosy? It's a rod-shaped, acid-fast bacteria, bacterium, leprosy that inhabits itself in your mucous membranes and destroys the synapses between your nerve endings. So in other words, you feel no pain. It usually takes as long as 20 years for you to die. So what happens is, those things that happen, now in the beginning you probably feel pretty invincible because you just don't feel pain. So <coughs> what happens initially is you lose it ex- in your extremities, your fingers, your toes, those kind of things. But ultimately what happens is, is it surfaces on your face, you kind of know you're in trouble. The reason your skin regenerates is because of your nerve endings. It goes, hey, that's dry skin over there, let's do something about it, and it starts sending fresh skin up. So when the nerves are no longer telling the brain, because that connection's lost, well, your skin stops to producing fresh skin, so basically what you are is you're a walking dust ball because your skin now is all eroding in front of you. You basically numb yourself to death. And what when the Haman was, I'm sorry, when Gahazi was on the outside, the king was on the inside. Spiritually, he was a leper. He had numbed himself from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He had numbed himself from the conscience that God placed within him to say this is So it makes sense they were next to each other. But the king talked with Gahazi. Verse 4. And the servant of the man, notice the man of God, doesn't call him a man of God himself, saying, Tell me, please, all the things Elisha has done. I think that's an interesting thing. How all of a sudden the king's interested in. Tell me some amazing stories. So it happened as he was telling the king about how he had restored the dead to life. And imagine he probably didn't say, oh well, yeah, I ran over there and threw a stick on the kid. Nothing happened, I think, yeah, but went back. I mean, I wouldn't have told that story. Would you have told me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, Hello, and he really pulled this thing off. So as he was telling the story to the king of how he had restored the dead to life, there was the woman whose son he had restored to life appealing to the king for her house and for her land. The guy was like, you won't believe this. What a coincidence. <laughs> there she is now. That's the woman remarkable woman to be able to go well clearly that's her but imagine the case and you're aware that there's a phrase that coincidence is not a kosher word Gossi said oh my lord the king, oh king this is the woman and this is her son by the way that other she restored the life and then the king asked the woman she told him so wait a minute. are you really her so the king appointed a certain officer for her saying restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left of the land until now. This is how this story ends. This story ends with the idea that this woman in faith left everything she was familiar with and comfortable with. Having no report ahead of time, no promise that she would be restored. But she left it because she was being obedient. And she left it to get out And the last thing you would have thought is, well, maybe I'll get the land land back. But beyond that, the idea, not only will I get the land back, but I'll get everything we made on that land for the last, you know, seven years. Now, there was a famine, so who knows what they made. (coughs) Now, what happens when a person abandons property? Let me ask you, what happens when a person abandons property here? You know what happens? The bohemians find it, right? People that, you know, beard wax and, you know, are listening to hipster music that uh, um that are all about hemp clothing and anyways. You know. Because they did that they took over the place that, you know, again is vacant again. I remember that when they remember that when they shelled out over there for a while? That became the super dry store and then uh, and then we won't go and that kind of thing. So you not only have to try to get your land back, you have to remove the people that are there. Now, for what it's worth, in my last couple minutes if you know the, the the process to eradicate people that are squatters from the property is a threefold situation first of all of course you have to publicly present the deed that who owns the property in the first place i mean that's only proper and then once you actually do that you actually have to <coughs> publicly announce it that you are going to go and seize the property and take it back and then once you drive out those people, you actually have to cleanse the land because it's Israeli land, so it needs to be cleansed. It's a threefold thing for what it's worth. First the deed, then the public declarations, and then the cleansing. Why is that important? Because if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, it takes place with the seals, and then it's the trumpets, and then it's the bulls. God is eradicating the people because they don't own the land, that he does. All the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. The devil never got the deed. He just got squatting rights. Mm-hmm. Adam invited him in and said, "Here, you can go ahead and make yourself at home." But the property was never his. Mm-hmm. But God is a proper procedure, and He's going to take it back. But the reason He's going to do that isn't just to kick out them; it's to give every human being on the planet an opportunity to say yes, and no reason to say no but their own stubbornness. He's like, "Have you had enough?" So there's judgment, and then He stops. And then he sends pro- two prophets. And, or I should say this there's judgments and he stops and he sends 144,000. Then there's judgments and he stops and then he sends two prophets. And then there's judgments and then he has three angels span the earth preaching the everlasting gospel. Why would he do that if he just wanted to torture everyone? Mm. So he's like, have you had enough yet? Is it now a good time? I mean, back then was a great time, but now it's still good. Mm. And there'll be people who will die shaking their fists at God. Mm. But there will be others who will only come the hard way, but in the end, praise God, they came. Maybe that's some of your stories. Mm. I'll be honest, it was a bit of mine. Now hear me on this. There's nobody in history that left more than Jesus. Who left more than just all the glory of eternity. You left the love of the Father. Because he said, oh, that they would see the love that you had for me before the foundation of the world. He had to leave that intimate face-to-face presence with the Father to come down here. And as He came down here, He served. You are aware of the fact that there are only three different ways to become part of a family. Do you know what they are? How do you become part of a family? Adoption. Adoption. That's a good one. Marriage. Marriage. Birth, you've got to be born in. Are those the only three ways to become part of a family? Basically, yeah. You're aware of the fact that God did all three with you, right? He made sure there was no place left unturned. You were adopted, put the spirit of adoption in you. You're born again, so you're born into the family. And Jesus is your groom. There's no possible way you couldn't be part of the family. You are every part of the family in that. But for that to happen, he would have to come down and get his girl. And he would have to serve for her. There are three different ways that a man could actually serve for his bride or get for his bride. one is to pay her debt, the second is to redeem her family from dishonor, and the third is to work, which by the way, for what it 's worth, they had limited down to three and a half years because Jacob worked so darn hard for Rachel
3: Thank you. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> right so which of those did Jesus do? Oh, yeah, guess what? He did all three of them. He served his three and a half years for us, he redeemed us, mankind even from our own dishonor mm-hmm. and he paid our debt do you realize when God does something he doesn't just kind of do it
1: he mm-hmm. does it absolutely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: but when he returned he returned with greater wealth he realized the only thing Jesus didn't have was you and that was mm-hmm. enough for him to leave everything else again mm-hmm. do you realize you're so precious Amen. that the richest person in all of eternity was the only person who could afford you and it cost him everything to get you and it was still okay for him So exactly how do you think you're going to get something else from someone else anywhere else that's going to know you anywhere close to that and think somehow that's going to validate you when God did this? Mm. Tonight, let me ask you again, who's the one who made the move? And who's the one that responds? Mm. And if we're the one that responds, how should
1: we respond?
0: Do we want to be like a huffy? Or do we want to be like a faithful person that would say, the woman of
1: God, the man of God?
0: Even if nobody else does. Are we busy integrating into a world that's... In other words, are we actually trying to blend in with the Titanic or are we busy blowing up life rafts? Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't want to stand out. Well, too bad. If you gave your life to Christ, you're supposed to stand out. Mm -hmm. You were the only living thing in the morgue. Stop acting dead. And with that, as I pray, as we pray, could we pray for God to reignite the desire? And understand... Holy is not holy from first, it's holy unto. Mm. It's holy unto Him. And that, in essence, first the behavior. if that makes sense? <coughs> yeah. It's not holy from the world, I'm holy unto Him. What separates my children from all the other people on the, on the planet, they're, they're my children. There will be different behaviors for it. They'll, they might occasionally even call me dad when they want something. Mm. But I tell you what, it's easy to forget that. We don't separate from the world to separate from the world because then we'll just feel like we're orbiting in the outer space. We separate ourselves unto God so that we can help say, you know what, it isn't about me building a bridge to hang out with you. What I want to do is invite you over and if there's any bridge at all, the bridge is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And the gospel is the only way to the Father. When John writes 1 John, he says, I write this that you are to fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. He's like, the reason I'm even telling you this is because I want you on our side. Mm-hmm. Now, could you imagine what would happen if we started there? I'm like, I like where I'm at. I'd like to invite you over. But for that to happen, you're going to have to leave you at the door. Because Jesus has got a whole new you.